Building a company that represents the country is very important to me and to our company. When we're not living into that core value by recruiting in underserved populations or when our balance gets off in terms of men and women on the team, like when we go to 60-40 instead of where we normally are, which is 50-50, someone calls us out. Hey there, I'm Mark Minner of First Person Advisors. Welcome to Human Resolve the podcast designed for the unsung heroes of the workplace, HR professionals like you. Each time we gather, we cover the highs and the lows, hits and misses, and everything in between. Welcome back into Human Resolve, our next episode. We're really excited to get into RJ Talier, the founder and CEO of Pattern 89, formerly of Exact Target and Salesforce VP of Mobile Products. And for those not familiar with Pattern 89, helping e-commerce retailers understand what paid social ads work and why, instead of just trying to use social media and make yourself an expert, hire the experts pattern 89. And, and really, RJ, I, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not a social media expert. I am not a consumer e-commerce expert, but we're going to dive into the people side of your world here today as an entrepreneur, as a leader in your organization and organizations that you've worked in and in the community. But uh, first off, I got to say, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to hearing your story and uh, appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, let's let's kind of dive in here. Your story is one that I'm I'm fascinated by. You went to school and and you were an English major. You've always had this entrepreneurial itch and you get into a company like Exact Target that takes off from the early you're there in the early days and and you wrote it all the way through and you're at a young age in a high growth, fast paced environment, starting to then lead teams and lead people. And at what point did you kind of sit back and have some perspective about the journey you were on and how fast life was coming at you? Oh man, I, I think I do that almost every day. <laughs> to, yeah, <laughs> I, I actually, it's funny that you asked that question. I, I do remember in addition to working at exact target, I built a house in 2000, 14 in, or since 2004, 2004 in Fall Creek Place, which is just north of downtown India, was a federal grant area, you know, where they were building new houses. And I, I remember thinking, I'm building this house and part of this company that's growing and like, wow, I'm doing some things that like kind of matter, you know? And when, when I graduated from college, I, you know, that's everybody's hope is that they actually do something that matters. And I had that kind of inkling th- at that point, or like, at least it mattered to me, you know, I felt like, oh, I'm sorry, part of something bigger in, in a few different ways and in, in my community. And, and then also in, in this company, that's kind of transforming the way that people are looking at Indianapolis, which was kind of cool. I, when I, I grew up here in Indy and I always thought I'd move to Europe. Like that was my goal. <laughs> When college, I did an internship in London and I thought, I'm going back to Europe and I'll like sweep the floor, or do something there just to live there again and started at exact target and then ended up like just finding this little niche that I was really good at as well as loved, you know, it was a, such a fun ride. So anyway, then sort of started 
planting the roots here, you know? But anyway, like literally during that drive, I remember thinking, oh, I'm kind of part of something bigger, which is that's not lost on me, that opportunity and the continued opportunities that have come my way. So these years later, it's the same same feeling I get almost daily. <laughs> well, and, you know, Exact Target, which of course was a, a great success story for the tech community here in Indianapolis, for Indi- Indiana as a whole, what it did before being acquired by Salesforce. And one thing that Exact Target was really known for was that cultural element, was the identity that you had being a part of the Exact Target family. And I wonder, were you able to absorb that being as early in your career? Did you know there was something so special? Or in hindsight, has that changed now as you've become an entrepreneur and you've grown your business and you've looked at that? How how do you look back and reflect on that time and what made that orange culture so, so special? Yeah, it's it's funny. The I remember when the the culture actually got branded orange. I remember that day and I almost had a kind of an icky feeling about it because I was like, like I loved the culture and I do love that. I feel I mean, what a wonderful culture. And then the, by the time it was branded, I felt like, oh well, now we're gonna call it something, you know, versus <laughs> being. But what was clever about the way that it was branded, it was branded as a color, which represented all sorts of different things. And I'd always loved Exact Target because I felt in my previous internships or jobs that I was expected to act in a certain way or look a certain way, wear certain clothes, not be silly or myself or funny, or, you know, like just truly like be a, a version of something. Whereas at Exact Target, I felt like I could just be myself and kind of that whole bring your whole self to work type idea. And by then saying, we're going to call it something, I felt like, oh, now we've got a template. But again, the thing that was clever about it is it was orange is dot, dot, dot. And it was almost everything. It's serving our customers. It's living into our core values. It's you, you know? And so that initial kind of icky feeling that I described went away pretty quickly because it was like, orange is what I've been doing and what we have been doing as a company. So, and the, the clever part of orange is it was a little bit undefined, but it was like, whatever makes exact target special is what is continuing to make it special. We're going to continue to validate the good things and really live into that orange culture. And I'll tell you what, I've been trying to replicate it. <laughs> I've been trying to replicate it in, in every role that I've had since the orange culture that made exact target so special is something that we still talk about. Something you try to emulate. I feel like it's now really popular to talk about culture in that way it is super hard to replicate because you have to believe at an executive level and it also has to be believable at every level. And, you know, a t-shirt doesn't do it. A water bottle doesn't do it. It's daily interactions. It's how you react to people's life situations. And I mean, we're living in a COVID world where, I mean, even added complications are, are, yeah, I don't know. It makes it even more challenging. So. Well, let's, let's fast forward and, and build off that RJ. You, you start Pattern 89. And what was that experience like to actually, you know, go out and be an entrepreneur and go start that organization? And then diving in, why has that, why is that such a challenge from a culture identity perspective to try and get that? By the way, that's a challenge for every organization to try and figure out what is your identity? How do you, how do you not only create an identity, but actually have that be authentic and live that out? What, what, what's that experience been like for you? Well, you know, when when I started Pattern 89, we sat down and we wrote out our core values at the very beginning, like literally the beginning. And there are five core values that we that have stayed consistent. 
And I repeat them at every team meeting. We meet on Wednesdays, every team meeting, I start out, we hear our core values. And it's kind of cheesy, but I've actually heard from the team that they like they like the repetitiveness of it and that they like to hear that. And I like to say it. And it's actually a good example. Or like I like to say, them, you know, like just to almost even test ourselves. Like, and, and I, I, our, our core values are to do what's in the best interest of the team to honor transparency, to think about speed over completeness, building a company that represents the country and honoring experimentation without the fear of failure. And those five core values are what we believe in and how we deal with difficult situations. And we set them four years ago and they were a reflection that I've had on my previous jobs, both good experiences and not good experiences. And I do believe the culture is at the heart of a successful company. That's a popular thing to say now, but it is critical. Like, I mean, just critical because every day you're faced with a challenging situation, whether it's someone is struggling personally or struggling professionally, a client situation arises, you know, COVID created all sorts of strange things. Starting the company with those core values in mind, it was something we felt like, oh, we should do this. And it's just served us over and over and over again, and that we're repeating them on a weekly basis. I'm pretty sure the company would be able to repeat them to you if you ask them what they were, or maybe get three or four out of five. (laughs) they've, They've almost become kind of jokes. And when people joke about something, that means that they know it well enough to joke about it and they can repeat it back to you. What do you think the advantages of actually going out and building and setting that foundation of the culture pillars or core value, you know, versus letting the culture kind of authentically, you're not going to organically develop over time going out and saying, Hey, we're going to be intentional about this. This is what we're going to set out. These are, these are bedrocks of why this company exists and what we want to try and achieve. By setting it, then we can make it a part of our interview process and our recruiting process and building a company where we honor speed over completeness. Some people don't like that. They, they actually want to completely complete a task at an A plus level every time. And that's what makes them feel good and makes them feel, you know, like worthwhile at work. And at Pattern 89, we're trying to do really high quality work, but we're also trying to figure out new things that have never been done before, how AI can help marketers with creativity. Like, I, I don't know what the template is for that. And we're going to try a bunch of things. And we got to try a bunch of things a bunch of times. And some people love to do that. I'll tell you, my wife, just as a counterbalance, is an analytical chemist who, like, I describe my work and she's like, that would drive me crazy. I mean, she she has a PhD in chemistry she wants to finish things. And By the way, um, I'm glad that our chemists like doing things to completeness well, and accurate. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, it, exactly. Like, but it, it's just like different people would want to work on different types of things. And even some developers, you know, software engineers want to get pixel perfect and we're okay with not pixel perfect in the first or second rev. And then we'll move to that as we figure out what works. So, you know, in startup land, it's about speed and like perfect is the enemy of good or whatever that phrase is. So we, 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 we really use it to say what we are and what we're not in an interview process. You know, building a company that represents the country is very important to me and to our company. And when we're not living into that core value by recruiting and underserved populations or when our balance gets off in terms of men and women on the team, like when we go to 60-40 instead of where we normally are, which is 50-50, someone calls us out 
So I was like, hey, we need to be recruiting more women. We need to get more women, female candidates, or looks like we're actually good here, or we need to be hiring, we're recruiting in circles outside of our own, or those types of things. So it kind of provides this almost, it's not neutral, but it's like this neutral bedrock that everybody can call back to and say like, hey, we're these are the five core values that we're going to keep going back to as kind of the, the things so like do what's in the best interest of the team is our number one core value, which means like we're going to do what's in the best interest of ourselves, our families, our customers, our investors, our community. And I'll tell you what, that one has been <laughs> invaluable this year as we've all suffered with COVID and, you know, my kids are e-learning and I've got a, you know, like that, the door behind me opens up and a child or two walks in with no clothes on or whatever, (laughs) you know, it's it's like, we got to just kind of meet people where they are and know that their hours might change or whatever. And I don't know. So, so they've again, again and again, I feel like they've really covered us in terms of what we want to believe in and being intentional about this from the beginning continues to be that kind of place we can go back to when we're faced with our decisions. The opposite, I would love to have a kind of an organic culture that like everybody kind of agrees on the same things. But again, 2020 has presented lots of things that we've never seen before ever as business people, as regular people, as humans. And what would we like? I don't want to be making up the rules as we go you know, every time in a new situation, instead, I want to go back to a set of standards. And if we want to set those standards and we want to change those standards, we can do that. But I think that the advantage is having clear standards. Well, and what's so cool about that is usually you see the same type of core values repeated, right? The same one word core value. There's more context, there's more connectivity to who you are and the type of company you want to build in your core values than you'd see in the average employer, which I think is really special and, and creates more authenticity to the core value, which is why it's probably easier to relate to. And one of those in particular, I want to drive into the company that is representative of the country. That is not one you see every day, but it is one that in, you're talking about this year in 2020, that has become something that more organizations are opening their eyes to and aspiring to figure out what do we need to do to make that a a reality. You've been ahead of the game in that. And that's been something that's been actually, you know, part of the the lifeblood of the the organization. When you look at that diversity, equity, inclusion conversation, what, what are your advice as somebody who's already been doing that in practice, just as part of doing business to an organization that's trying to figure out how to make that more embedded in their organization? In some ways, we were lucky. In other ways, we were just intentional. And you can call it one or the other. But my previous experiences, I've had good and bad experiences as it relates to like experiencing diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, as a white guy, I'm certainly the stereotype, you know, of tech. But our customers don't look like me, right? Like we, we, we serve all sorts of customers globally. And for us, and we're dealing in AI, which has inherent bias in it. And the only way that we're going to win is, we knew this from the beginning, is that we needed to create a team that represents our customers, which is effectively the, the country. And so we need all those voices to not only be there, but transparency is another core value. So we need to have those voices saying, hey, this isn't quite right, or I don't like this. And if you're familiar, like in in AI, there's a lot of bias, like in facial recognition models, which have been trained historically on 
white men. And so they don't work as well on people of color, black people, et cetera. And so then it creates bias in the model. So how do we create a company that's using AI kind of working around some of those things and having a team that is not only diverse, but also willing and wanting to share opinions in a transparent environment. Like we've, we've avoided some business risk that some of our counterparts have not. And then, I mean, that's like the business impact. And the other thing is like, we've really benefited just from a cool culture. Like the company is great. Like the, it's fun to, to work at pattern 89. So my advice would be to proclaim something at the beginning or if you're not at the beginning, proclaim something anyway, and then you've got to do the hard work to live into it. I'll tell you, it, it is hard in that what's easy for me is just to go right to my network versus going outside of my network and being a part of other groups that are full of people who don't look like me or act like me or whatever. So it is extra work that's work worth doing because once you get that flywheel and process, then now we have a company that sort of has tapped into all sorts of different groups and groups that don't look like me. So then the the talent sort of wants to, is aware of and wants to learn more about Pattern 89 work here. So start now is my (laughs) Start now. Obviously there's a business impact on that, but it's just generally like life gets better when that happens. Right. And, and when you're intentional about that, when you look, when you look back from today's seat to the first day when you were starting the business, from a people perspective, if you could go back and do something different or you could you could give advice to yourself about something you may have done earlier or or change, is there something from a people HR side that you look back and you think, I wish I would have thought about this or I'd known about that differently? I would tell myself to not take it so personally when someone's not a fit or when someone decides to leave. It's something I struggle with right now still like, you know, startup life is not for everybody and our company is not for everybody. And some people have chosen to leave or don't fit the company or whatever. And I like I've personally struggled with that, like sleepless, literally sleepless nights about like how that person's going to be impacted, how it looks on me, you know, candidly, like, does it look bad on me if this person leaves the company? Then three, six months later, you see like, oh, wait, then you meet up with that person. And you're like, how are things going? And they're like, great. Things are great. Things, actually, I found a better fit for me versus like desperately trying to do whatever you can to effectively save face, which is what I've found, you know, so, <laughs> kind of like, like we're in a therapy appointment at this point. <laughs> you know, I, I think that my, my advice would be like, just to know that it's okay when someone doesn't work out or chooses to exit the business and that the world works out. So versus like, assuming that you're going to have hundred percent retention from the beginning. Which is something that I think so many people struggle with, whether you're a manager in an organization, but especially I would think in an entrepreneurial setting where, you know, there's an identity side of the business and you're trying to grow it. And, and so I think there's a lot of people who relate to that, but it's, it, I think that's part of the genuine nature of the culture though, is right. You, you, you know, it's not, you're not trying to bring people in and just, push product and, and move them through a machine. You're, you're trying to build something. You're trying to build that, that culture. One, one of the things I just know, like at the beginning, we actually set our like company goal as a hundred percent retention. That's tough to do. Well, I mean, but like <laughs> we want to recruit these superstars, we want to recruit these people that are perfect and then assume that nothing changes in their life or in our business period 
that they would want, you know, that everybody's still there at the beginning. Like we wanted a perfect story. Sorry, maybe no, we, I wanted a perfect story, you know, <laughs> but people agreed with me, you know? And so we wanted this perfect like view into the team and it's, it's not a perfect story. And and that's actually the other thing is like you, you when you hear startup stuff, startup people tell startup stories, they take, they tell it from the end and then they create the story, you know, they don't, share those like blips and ups and downs along the way. They just tell the, the you know, history, whatever, like you tell the, the, the good story. So the, the happy path. So anyway, that, that's the, that's one of the things I've learned. When you think about the people, one of the things you said is that this year's presented challenges around meeting people where they are or the, the, the challenge of, of navigating in a world where you've got kids at home and things like that. The, the concept of remote work, I think, for a lot of folks and flexible working arrangements, things like that, for a lot of organizations, that's a newer topic to think about some people, let alone the entire company going remote. And for tech organizations, I think they've been ahead of the game on that. You've obviously seen that in organizations you've worked with. One of the areas where I think people particularly struggle around that is how do I make sure people are engaged, productive, how do I know what success looks like in a remote work setting? And when do I, you know, how long does that go on for? Do I need to bring it back? As a tech leader and somebody who's been through organizations where that's existed, what's your perspective on remote work for organizations? So we've always been 100% flexible with our team. And so people can work wherever. And before COVID, we would, it was often that I was in the only person in the office on two, maybe three days a week. Our engineering team works, we're working only like they would take Tuesdays and Thursdays and work, you know, kind of heads down and then get together Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, et cetera. So we've always been really flexible. We've got team members all over the U.S. So as the move to work from home, it wasn't a huge, huge impact on us. We have always managed the business with OKRs, with objective and key results. And we have three of them at the company, as well as our core values. And in our team meeting, we start with our core values. And then we talk about our OKRs. And I remember when we first went to remote, my parents were like, well, how do you know if everyone's working? Like, listen, I don't, you know, I just don't. And like my head will explode if I try to figure out where people are. Again, I've had experiences in previous roles where a leader would literally call around trying to figure out where Mark is, where RJ is and where this person is and that person is. It's like, that's going to make you insane. You can either choose to trust the people or not. And that is an easy thing to say, but I'll tell you when we're hustling towards a sales goal or hustling towards something and you're trying to find somebody and their little light isn't green on Slack. So you don't know for sure that they're in front of their computer and you can't find them because they had to step away and help their child with math homework or something. Like it's a little maddening, but you just ultimately have to trust the team. Period. And again, easier said than done. So what I've done try to to try to emphasize that is we we have a, a camera on, not recommendation, but like just we ask that as people are working remotely that they put their camera on when we're talking because nothing can really replace that like side by side work as we're at a whiteboard or whatever. But maybe the closest thing we can get to it is camera on. But then people are nervous about their homes being shown or even themselves in a kind of a bad state. So I try to actually get on with bedhead. I'm showing up, you know, not in front of customers, but in front of our own internal team, just to demonstrate like, Hey, we're, I'm living my life here. There's a kid on my lap and she's darling, but she has no clothes on right now. <laughs> Sorry, that's a little bit inappropriate, but my 
my daughter's two and whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> you know or, or getting on just after a run or whatever, just to demonstrate, hey, I'm real too. We're all real. We're all dealing with this crazy thing. And we're also working. And that might mean that you're working from seven to nine in the morning, and then you got to take a break because you have to do stuff and work late. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter. So it goes back to that core value. Do what's in the best interest of the team. Like You need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your family. We've had surgeries and COVID and hospital visits and babies and all sorts of stuff. And like, we don't use time tracking. We have unlimited PTO. It's like you're either in this to do it or not. So from a remote work perspective, we've made a little bit of fun of it. We did Pattern 89 Cribs, like the MTV show, where people, if they were interested, could volunteer to give us a tour of their home. I went first and I showed our disgusting, dirty toy pit basement where my four children (laughs) just make forts and Legos are everywhere. We did garden tours because a lot of people had gardens and we have a lot of, you know, many backyard gardens. So we did gardens. So we would do that as a part of our team meeting and people could just like show us their crib or show us their garden if they wanted, or they didn't have to participate. Some people didn't choose to, and that's fine. And then camera on just so people can get to know each other. And we've done a lot of mailers and things like that to try to drive you know, some cultural connection when we can't be connected in person. So, but as we head into 2021, there's, I I don't know, it's going to be, as this continues, and then maybe we go back to the office. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this all continues to, to go, but ultimately we are remote. We're, we're, we're great with it. Our business has actually accelerated as a result of all of this. So we're getting great results out of the team. I love your openness <laughs> around your home and just the uh, hot mess that is the home life in 2020. Uh, right. Hot mess is a good description. <laughs> you know, speaking of the business that you run and, and AI in general, I think one of the, the fascinating things is certain industries have been disrupted faster than others when it comes to outsourcing or digital or AI. Now, now every organization, every part of the organization, every department, you're in the game there. When you look at the workplace, when you look at people, HR, this world of HR, how do you see AI and some of this machine learning affecting what the workplace and the people environment, the HR side of things will look like moving forward? I think it's critical. I also think it's dangerous because I don't know if you're familiar with structural, there are another... Alpha. Scott Burns, the CEO of Structural, a solution like Structural connects people in a way that can't happen without an app like Structural. I think that's an example of a good way that uh, we're going to use tech and AI to connect people who are in desperate locations. So, you know, with Structural, you can find connections in a way that you might not have been, that what maybe only existed kind of in tribal knowledge or organic knowledge before. On the flip side, I think that there's a lot of solutions out there that are trying to measure productivity or somehow replace the manager that's pacing around in the background to understand whether someone's engaged in their work. And I think that there's going to be a backlash against that, especially as people are working in their homes and feel their privacy erode. So as more and more roles from call centers to you know, software engineers to full companies become remote. The, you know, how, how will we measure productivity in a way that is acceptable to those that are working in those roles? So, you know, you've got positive examples and, and negative examples out there, but I think that they certainly are going to change because ultimately 
companies want to understand where their investments are tracking or not. And, you, you know, there's some AI and tech out there that calculates a churn risk or a retention risk of an individual that measures key activities. You've got AI technology out there measuring the health of those individuals who are sitting at a desk all day and are they um, taking care of themselves. One platform that I like a lot is called Rise Science, which is a sleep tracker. You know, we know sleep trackers for or like fitness trackers for like personal use, but they're actually connecting overall performance with your sleep, which is super fascinating. And I think is a really positive opportunity. So I just I think that we're going to see new tools, and new techniques come out as the world embraces more and more remote work and people aren't tied to a city or tied to a location. They're just kind of tied to their Wi-Fi signal. So with positives and negative impacts and especially like with an older workforce, I'm going to stereotype, but I'm myself <laughs> in that older workforce, like newer, you know, the younger workforce might be more open to some of those in exchange for something. Um, the older workforce might feel like they're um, being tracked at a higher rate. So I don't know. Th- th- I think that those are some of the ways that we'll see impact. Sort of this bifurcation of certain things that go in there almost in a big brother sense to try and, manage and, and kind of, you know, get insight into that. The other side is using AI to help individuals and teams become more high performing. What are the keys that it takes to, you know, almost like you you parallel that with sports and you think about how AI and data and information around performance helps athletes become more, more efficient, more productive, higher performing, and the opportunity for that to then translate into the workplace. That part's, I think, pretty exciting about what, what teams and individuals can can do to gain that insight. Yeah. And I, I think that there's going to be an impact, like as, as an individual is interviewing at a role, they're going to ask about culture, which is a common question that we get, but then they're going to be digging in to cultural things to say, like, how are you using technology as a part of that? Because some people just want to have that separate relationship from their jobs. And so that I think might actually be an in, uh, an indicator or a difference, uh, difference maker. So another example is I actually took, this is, you know, 2020 world. My kids are e-learning. My wife and I both work remotely. We actually went out West for five weeks this year to work remotely. And other team members at Pattern 89 have done the same thing. And while some people might be shy to say like, Hey, I'm traveling or I'm out here or whatever. I actually was very forthright with it. Cause I want the team to go and do stuff. We've got, you know, we had a team member in Denver. We had one go to North Carolina for a few weeks. Like it's great. Go and do. If you're familiar with PackSafe, they like have a, or maybe they did, they have a, like a stipend, go and work somewhere cool stipend, which I think is awesome. And like talk about an, an easy way to make your company stand out from the rest is actually embrace that remote work. And, you know, from a technology standpoint, as long as we can log on to Zoom and, and you trust the employee, then like you're, that's, that's great. So the question is, do we need to use technology tools to track our employees or not? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Lastly, you, you were a competitive swimmer, still swim and a national champ at that too. And RJ, when you think about your time swimming competitively, when you think about your time coaching, swimming, I think there's a lot of folks that grew up in athletics and, you know, how, how does the time you spent in that, do, doing that activity, coaching, competing, how has that translated into the business for you? I have a great quote that was in someone's email signature from an email I got yesterday. 
And her signature says, nothing is too complicated that cannot be simplified by hard work. I love that quote. I'm not sure who said it in this. I'm excited to talk to this woman. I've just got introduced to her, but nothing is too complicated that cannot be simplified by hard work. And I'll tell you what, swimming is the most boring sport there is. It is <laughs> all you do is you swim 25 yards, looking at a black line, and then you turn and you come back and you do that for two, three, four hours a day. And it's just about hard work. And I was uh, an okay swimmer, I would say. Like, okay swimmers and excellent swimmers, they both have to do hard work. And there's only so much talent that'll take you, you know, like any of the swimmers, like you can only get by with so much talent and any sports person or any person that's played sports knows that you, you, your talent will take you so far. And then you just have to hard do hard work. Startup land is hard work. And I'm really good at hard work. And when you put in hard work, you get a result. And I think that that's been like my kind of my mantra and this, this woman's email signature said it better than I can do it. And it's just about hard work. So that's kind of what I'm about and what I believe in. Well, I'm going to give you credit for that quote now when I start reciting that. So I'm going to move it from anonymous status to, to RJ Talier status. Hey, I appreciate you joining us. We didn't even get to the fact that you're IBJ 40 under 40. You obviously have a wonderful family. And uh, I have to ask you later about the bird watching piece because I'm fascinated by that. But yeah. that'll be for our next time. This is RJ Talier, founder and CEO of Pattern 89, part of that high alpha family and, and just a wonderful career, doing wonderful things for the community and for the organization. RJ, thanks so much for joining us on Human Resolve. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for learning with us today. Did you enjoy the episode? Please share it along with someone you think would appreciate it. Subscribe and stay ahead of the curve with notifications of new episodes. Join the conversation and let us know what you think by tagging FirstPersonBA and using hashtag HumanResolve on social media. Oh.